Brother Lewis, Lord Miss Araceli, Claudia, Alexis. Good to see you folks this morning. Let's start with a word of prayer. If we could all stand together. If you can, if you can't, that's all right. I understand. All right. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day that you've given us, Lord. I pray that you'd please bless uh, this morning, Lord, as we go over uh, Baptist doctrine. Lord, not that we are uh, we are inherently Christians, Lord. We don't about uh, any doctrine, Lord, that is not of you. But Lord, as I have studied Baptist doctrine, I believe that uh, they're the closest to what the Bible teaches. So Lord, I pray that you just help us today and help us to understand and learn. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, last week we talked a little bit about the importance of Baptist history. It's on, um, of Baptist history, and we talked about some of the reasons why uh, at least I believe this church is Baptist, and why I'm glad Baptist. Can't hear it. I might have to turn it up a little bit, huh? All right, Miss Cassie, could you please turn that mic up for me? Just put the main volume. Okay. There we go. Is that any better? Can you hear me now, Miss Sophie? Can you hear me now? Is it better? A little bit more? Okay, we're working on it. Hello. Is that better? Okay. Hi, Miss Chloe. It's ringing a little bit. Okay, so we talked about last week the importance of the Word of God and how important uh, it is, I mean, about the Baptist, uh, importance of Baptist distinctives. And we kind of had an introduction about Baptist distinctives in total. Now, the first subject that I'm going to talk about that deals with uh, what Baptists believe about the Bible. What Baptists believe about the Bible. There's three points that I'm going to talk about. First of all, it is inspired. The Baptists believe that the Bible is inspired. Secondly, we believe that the Bible is inherent. Is inherent. And lastly, we believe the Bible is invincible. Invincible. So let's first of all start with the inspired Word of God. The inspired Word of God. And letter A underneath that, if you're taking notes, testimony of Christ in relation to the Scriptures. So we look at the Bible as a way to determine how do we determine what Christ said about the Scriptures and what His relationship was to the Scriptures. If you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, what did God feel about the Scriptures? What did Christ feel about the Scriptures? In Matthew chapter 4, we're going to read the first four, four verses. It says in verse 1, Then was Jesus was led up in the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God... Command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. 
So Matthew, uh, little letter, or little, I guess number one underneath, uh, capital letter A, Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 4, is what he believed about past inspiration. Past inspiration. What does it mean by it when I say past inspiration? When Jesus talks about, when I'm saying that Jesus talks about past inspiration, what are we talking about? Do you know? So from the time that Jesus was alive to the past. So that means the new, all of the Old Testament. God believed, or Christ believed, that the Bible was the Word of God. And so he since believed that it was the Word of God. It proceeded, the Bible says, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Verse 3 says, And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. So we find out in verse 3, the devil, devil wasn't questioning his divinity. He knew that God was God. But what was he trying to do? He was attacking what God said. What does that mean? Well, I'll give you an example. We already know in the Old Testament where we find in the beginning Genesis that the Satan attacked Eve. And when he attacked her, he didn't try to attack and say that God is not really God. But instead, he tried to plant doubt into Eve's heart. And that is exactly what today's modern scriptures and people of liberal mindset are trying to do. They're trying to attack the scriptures by saying that there is some type of doubt in their heart. And that's exactly what he did. He wasn't, he wasn't questioning God's divinity because he knew he was God. But what he was doing was he was attacking what God said. And that's exactly what Satan do to you. He'll try to question what God said. Not what God it, that God is, but what God said. Is God really right? Is He really true? Yeah, He's God, but was He really saying the right thing there? Secondly, not only do we find that the devil wasn't questioning his divinity, but he was attacking what God said. Secondly, he also believed that the Bible, Christ believed, that, the, that it was the final authority. He answered it using the Word of God. It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now my question is to you, is God's word inspired? Yes, it is. That's a very simple question. How was it written? God, did God come down from earth and write it himself? Okay, the Holy Spirit took men and they wrote the Word of God. Now the question is, so how does it say here? It says that man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So the, the, the people that, that uh, took the inspiration of the Bible, they heard it, right? And then they wrote it. Do you know what that's called, Mohan? Ready for this? Heard it. <laughs> it's pretty simple. No, this is called plenary verbal inspiration. Plenary or verbal inspiration. Okay? Plenary, plenary means full or all. In verse 4, we find that it says every word. Not just parts that you like, but every word of God is what men live by. 
Some people like to do this. They like to say, well, uh, you know, I don't agree with this here. and This can't be accurate. And, and I, I can't agree with that. And so what do they do? They take those parts and uh, they say, I'm going to only believe parts of this Bible. Now, the Bible, Christ says here, he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So we have an understanding here that Christ was very clear about what the word of God was. Not just parts, but every word of God is inspired. We find here it's plenary, meaning that full, all, and not only that, but it's verbal. Verbal. What does it mean when you say you verbalize something? You audibly speak it, okay? So you got plenary verbal inspiration. What does that mean? Full speaking inspiration. Does that anybody have any questions on that? Hope we all understand that. Brother Lewis, you're looking at me like I got two heads. If you don't understand, we'll we'll go over it a little bit longer. Okay? This is saying the Bible is fully inspired. How is it inspired? By the verbal mouth of God. Every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. So Baptists believe that the Bible is was written by plenary verbal inspiration. Secondly, not only do we find out it's what he believed about past information, but we also inspiration, but we also find here is Jesus' view of the scriptures. Turn to Luke chapter 24. And verse 25. And this is uh, number two. Jesus' view of the scriptures. Um, Luke chapter 24 and verse 25. Let me go back Stay there in that scripture. I just want to uh, kind of belabor a point here I forgot about. And Matthew chapter 4, don't forget that this, it is written. Where is it written? It's already found in the Old Testament. Okay? So when God says it is written and he talks to the devil, he uses part of the Old Testament to fight the devil. And what is he, what is he doing when he's using that Old Testament? He's also doing what? He's proving that it is Scripture. Okay? I'm sorry, I meant to talk about that when we're in there. Alright, so Luke chapter 24 and verse 25. Someone want to read that for me out loud? Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Verse 26. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Okay. So what, let's kind of go through. What was he talking about here? In Luke chapter 24. Anybody know? Maybe we should read a little bit more of the chapter to kind of fill an understanding of what was being said. Luke chapter 24, it says in 24, And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it, even so the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets had spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? What was he talking about? They were talking about Christ's death, burial, and what? Resurrection. 
So we're talking about here something very important is the fact that Jesus Christ had already talked about his what? His death, his burial, and his resurrection. He had already told him that this would happen. What was he again proving about the scriptures in the Old Testament? That they were what? Inspired. Christ pretty much endorsed the scriptures in the Old Testament. He was talking about the prophets. Prophets. Right? He was talking about Isaiah. He was talking about the ones that had predicted Christ would die for our sins. We go back all the way to Genesis where it says that he, the serpent, would bruise his heel. But what? The son of man would what? Crush his head. We see here the importance that Jesus Christ put on the view of scriptures. He shows them that the Old Testament scriptures were about him. He was specifically saying, hey, I am the thing that they say was going to come. The Jews today still don't believe that. They don't believe believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They don't believe that Jesus came. But Jesus gave them specific scriptures to show them, hey, I am the Messiah. I am here to come. This is the inspired word of God. He not only believed that, but he also believed in the preservation of scriptures. God used men to preserve it. Luke 24, 44. What do I mean when I say preservation of scriptures? It means it was going to keep the original thoughts, literal values, everything was going to be preserved for us, just like it did in the New Testament. Uh, the New Testament states, it talks about in the Old Testament states. These were the men, these were going to preserve all the way to the what? 21st century. A lot of people say, well, that was written by men. There is no way that it's going to keep the same values, the same understandings, through the same translations, through all that. The scriptures are corrupted. You can't understand them. The Bible is very clear that he said he would what? Preserve his word. Okay? What does it mean preserve? How many ever had preservatives before? Fruit preservatives. I had fruit preservatives. When I was younger, my mom would go pick strawberries at the strawberry field. And she would pick them. She'd bring them home if I didn't eat them all by that time. But she would take those preservatives and what, what she, I mean, those strawberries, and she would take and she would make jelly preservatives. Preserves. Preservatives, whatever you want to call them. I'm trying to give a point here. Thank you for my peanut gallery over here. Um, so here it is. We're talking about the idea of preserves. When you open that jar up, guess what would be inside that jelly? Strawberries! They were preservatives! Okay? They're preserved. Okay? Those jellies are exactly the same strawberries that we picked the year before. Okay? And they would last, I don't know, we had them on the shelf for a couple of years and they're pretty good. Take them out of the jars, you can them. Oh man, it's good stuff. Put on some good old white bread. Amen? Good old white bread. It's one of the things I've been missing lately. Alright, here we go. So we find here that we find that Jesus believed that they're preserved. In Luke 24, 44, it said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you, while I was yet with you, and all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. He was very clear there, wasn't he? What was he saying? He's saying that the Old Testament is correct. It's going to be preserved. What was said in the Old Testament is going to happen now. Okay, and we do find through the Old Testament 
You find in Psalms where it talks about that there was going to be uh, uh, nail prints in Jesus' hands and in his feet. You're going to find in Psalms where it talks about that no bone would be broken. Uh, you find in Isaiah, unto you a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We find all through the Old Testament tread, uh, little, uh, uh, I call them breadcrumbs, of what Christ was going to come. And when Christ did come, it, f- it fed into what Christ was. Okay? Thirdly, we also find what Jesus believed about present inspiration. Present inspiration. Turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. So, we're looking, when we say past, we're talking about before Jesus was born on this earth. Now, we know Jesus was, is eternal, he's forever. But we find out that there was past inspiration. So, he's talking about the Old Testament before Christ came. Now, we're going to talk about what? Present inspiration. What is present inspiration? That's the time that Jesus Christ was here on this earth. Okay? About the current, his current words, what was coming out of his mouth. We find in John chapter 6 and verse 63, it says, It is the Spirit that quickeneth. What does a quicken mean? It means make alive, right? So it is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. And here we go. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are what? Life. Okay? So we find here that Jesus Christ is saying that my very words are what? What is it? Inspired. Okay? When Jesus Christ spoke, they were what? Inspired words. They were made alive. Okay? A lot of people like to say, well, the Old Testament, especially Jews, they like to say, well, the Old Testament is correct, but the New Testament is not inspired word of God. Now, how is that? A lot of people like to say that Jesus Christ was not God. The Jehovah Witnesses won't say, well, we'll say that. But here we find here that Jesus Christ himself said that it was the Spirit and they are alive. John 10.35 John 10.35 It says, let's start back in verse 33. The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. And because that thou being a man makest thyself God. Jesus answered them, It is not written in your law, I said, ye are gods. If he called them gods, unto whom the word of God came, the scripture cannot be broken. Say ye of him, whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the Son of God. So what was he saying? He's saying that the scripture in verse 35 could not be broken. What does it mean to be broken? It means destroyed or overcome. They were trying to judge Jesus for saying that he was the Son of God. Okay? The scripture said that he was going to be the son of God. He would come as the son of God. The Jews were so hard hearted. They didn't want to believe that. And so what were they going to do? They were going to stone him for blasphemy. Now what happened? Jesus says the scripture says it. And you can't fight against the scripture. Because why? It is the word of God. And he even says that it cannot be broken. It cannot be destroyed or it cannot be overcome. So we find here what Jesus' view of the scriptures. Uh, number four, 
we find Jesus teaching concerning future inspiration. So we have the past, we have the present, now we're going to talk about the future. What was the future, Mohan? According to Jesus' timeline. Okay, I see what you're saying. No, I'm saying, as far as inspired word of God, what was, we talked about Jesus. Okay, maybe I didn't make this clear. We're talking, when we say past, present, and future, I'm not talking that there's still inspiration of the word of God today. I'm not saying that the word of God is still being written. What I'm saying is, is we're talking it from the perspective of Jesus. Okay? So Jesus, before Jesus, the time of Jesus, and then after Jesus. Yes? Pretty much. It would be his death on. So this would be when he was no longer on the earth. He was up in heaven. He was being glorified by his Father. He was no longer on the earth. He was on the right hand of the Father. And we find here in the future inspiration, John chapter 14 and verse 26. Some of you know that verse by heart. What does it say? But the Comforter. Some of you know that? Do we know that? John 14, 26. But the Comforter, which is... Mohan, you know that verse? Oscar, you know that verse, buddy? The, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. So here we find here in John, uh, John 14, 26, he's saying here that he's going to bring things to his remembrance. Not only that, but whatsoever I have said unto you. So he's going to not only give the inspiration of the past, which is before Jesus, the Old Testament. He's going to give the present, which we find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I think there's a little bit of Jesus speaking in Acts when he, when he leaves and departs. And then he's going to talk about the rest after that. What is that? The uh, Paul's epistles, right? Hebrews, right? Revelation, right? James, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Okay? All these things here is what we're going to talk about right now. So what Jesus had to say about future inspiration. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. God will use the Holy Spirit to come into you in such a way he will bring their remembrance that which is inspired. He came upon the men such as Paul. He came upon men such as John. He came upon men such as James that helped ins- that were inspired to write the word of God. Secondly, we find in John chapter 12, turn there, John chapter 12 and verse 40, 42. So what did Jesus have to say about things that were going to be inspired in the future after his death? John chapter 12 and verse 42. John 12, 42. And it says, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And it says, Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, and believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. John twelve forty five, And he that seeth me, seeth him. That sent me. I am come a light into the world, and whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words believe, and believe not, I judge him not, 
For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Okay? So here we find that Jesus talking about, if you believe Jesus, what? You're believing also what? If you believe God the Son, you're believing also what? God the Father. Okay? A couple of things we need to bring into remembrance here. It talks about two types. You have When it talks about the singular word, what is it saying? It's talking about the word, the Bible as a whole. Okay? The inspiration of the word. When it talks about words, what is it saying? It's talking about individual words. Okay? So, is all of God's word inspired? Yes, it is. Every little bit of it. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. I love this verse. Love this verse. There's a lot into it. It says in verse 18, it says, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Anybody know what a jot and a tittle is? There, there used to be, I used to have them, right, you're ex- absolutely right. If you look in, um, I used to have a Bible, some of you might have one. But if you look in the Psalms, it actually used to have, some Bibles used to do this, where they'd actually put one of the uh, letters of the um, Hebrew alphabet above, it. I believe it was after Psalms 119, it would give one individual letter. And it would show you what a jot and what a tittle was. The jot and tittle are just super, super small. But it says here that for verily I say unto you till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. What a great promise. What is it saying? It's saying even the little teeny tiniest mark in the Hebrew language was not going to pass away. Or one word was not going to pass away until it all be fulfilled. Has everything in the scripture been fulfilled yet? There's a question mark in your mind? And you're an outstanding no. Is there still stuff that needs to be fulfilled? Yes, there is, isn't there? We go through Revelation, we find some of the old, uh, some of the things that needed to come, such as uh, Gog and Magog, the Battle of Armageddon. We find all kinds of things that still need to be fulfilled, but God says it's not going to pass away until all the Scripture be fulfilled. We still have Scripture to be fulfilled. Jesus knew God had planned to inspire the words. Secondly, we're going to talk not about Jesus, but we're also going to talk about the apostles. The apostles. What they said about inspiration. First of all, Paul talked about inspiration. Everybody should know this verse. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. What did Paul say about inspiration? The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. 17 says that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Here we find that all scripture is inspired. Paul, Paul gave that. Paul, Paul believed in plenary inspiration. And I'm going to give you some understanding about uh, inspiration. It partly means that God breathed. Okay, 
we find this, there's a, and I'm not going to go too deep into the Greek, but um, the actual word for inspiration is thoth. Here we go. Ready? You guys like this? Here we go. Theophanustos. How do you like that, huh? Theophanustos. Theo means what? Anybody know? Yes. God. Theo means God. Anustos means breathed. Okay? So inspiration, it means that God breathed. God inspired man. How did he inspire man? Um, if we take the literal version of God breathed, what did God do when he created man? He breathed into a living soul, right? He made it what? Alive. Okay? And that's exactly what he did with his word. He made it alive. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, we find that. If you want to turn there. Now, I know some of this is not as exciting as some of the things, but we do need to go through this because I think it's very important for us to understand uh, the Baptist belief system when it comes to the Bible. If Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, what do we find? And it says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became living soul. If you go through the Greek lexicon, you'll find that God breathed not only is written here, but it's also written where? In 2 Timothy 3.16. Where is the third place we find that God breathed? Some people don't even know this. Huh? Where's the third place that we find that God breathed? It's in Job. Anybody know where that's at? It says that the inspiration of the Almighty giveth us understanding. Alright? The understanding that we get from God to read God's Word. Let's go to the verse in 2 Corinthians 2.14. What does it say? Anybody know what that verse says? 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, because they are what? Foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because he is not spiritually discerned. Listen to me, if you're not saved and you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, you will not understand the Scriptures. You say you have a hard time understanding God's Word? I'll tell you right now, it's because you're probably not saved. Or you have so much sin in your heart that God doesn't want to even speak to you. But let me tell you something. A good indicator is you can never get anything out of the Word of God. Uh, the, one of the great proofs of having being saved is being able to know that God speaks to your heart through His Word. That's why it says here in Job, it talks about the inspiration of the Almighty giveth us understanding. And the same reason why it says that the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Why? Because God's Holy Spirit is not indwelling the non-believer. It is only those that are saved that can understand the Word of God. You have to first come to Jesus Christ and repent of your sins, put your faith and trust in Him, before you can actually understand what God has for your life and what He's planned for your life. But if you don't, if you never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, what happens? The inspiration through the Holy Spirit is not there. And so you're going to read this book like the world does, like it's a history book. Or even worse, you're going to read it with the skeptic of an atheist. Why? Because you don't have the Spirit to give you understanding. Does everybody understand that? 
Does somebody not understand that? I'm always willing for questions. If I don't know the answer to that question, yes, Oscar. Second Corinthians 2.14. First Corinthians 2.14, I'm sorry. I know it's Corinthians 2.14 something. Is it right? First Corinthians 2.14? But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God? Okay. Sorry, my memorization failed me. Forgive me. All right. So we find here in Second uh, Timothy uh, 3.16, we find 3.16-17 about the importance of Paul saying what the Bible was inspired. And we find also that God breathed into Adam and made him a living soul, also making him alive and also making him inspired. The Bible, breath of God. Theophanastas. Okay? The Bible is profitable for... And we find these things that are important. First of all, we find that the Bible is profitable for perfection. You say, Brother Harold, are you perfect? Well, I don't want to brag. No, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect, right? We're all sinners saved by God's grace. But what does it say here in verse 17? That the man of God may be what? The man of God may be what? Perfect. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Listen to me. We are never going to reach that perfection. We are never going to... Some people preach the idea of sinless perfection. The idea that you're going to be able just to quit sinning someday. In your own nature, you are a sinner. It's just part of you. It's like telling, it's like telling a car that you, uh, you shouldn't drive down the road. Okay? You are going to sin. You still have that old man with inside you until Jesus Christ comes and raptures us up to heaven someday and we stand before a holy and just God and He gives us those new bodies. You're still trapped in this old, nasty man. Okay? He gets older every, every day, man. Old man. Yeah. So we're still trapped and we're still going to sin. We're still going to do wrong. How? What is this Bible verse talking about, though? How are we going to get to that perfection? How are we going to be perfect? It's saying that with the Word of God, you have everything you need. For yes. You got every tool to strive for that perfection. You're never going to reach it, but you continue going on and striving for the fact. The Bible says, Paul said that I what? Press toward the mark of the high calling. Right? What did he mean when he said he pressed toward the marks? I mean, he strived for it. He was striving to be having that best relationship he could with his heavenly Father. David said, try me, O God. Know my heart. See if there be any what? Wicked way within me. Listen to me. As Christians, we are going to continue to sin. Uh, we talk about sometimes, it's very hard. Sometimes we get... Uh, I was talking to my wife on the way in about today. There's some people that we know that kind of gets this attitude. Well, <laughs> I can't believe they did that. <laughs> you know, listen to me. We have to be, the Bible says that if a man be overtaken in a fault, what are we to do? Restore such a one, right? We are to be the person that says, okay, you know what? I could be overcoming this fault. I could have this problem. And as a Christian, my job is not to sit there and judge that person, but instead help that person to the point where they can get back to that relationship with Jesus Christ. But sometimes Christians think, well, you know, you've, you've done wrong here, and I don't think I can forgive you for it. 
What is our job? Our job is not to be the judge. Our job instead is to be what? Servants of Jesus Christ. And as servants of Jesus Christ, the servant judge? Now the Bible does say that the spiritual man judges all things, does it not? But our responsibility is not primarily judging. I need to judge some things. I need to judge what kind of car I'm going to buy. I need to judge, you know, if I should have my kids hang around certain other kids. I should judge where my kids go to school, right? But my judge, my job is not to condemn. My judge is, my job is to help. There's difference there. You can judge to condemn, or you can judge to help. So many people take that so differently. You have a responsibility as a Christian to help your brother in Christ. If a person comes and says, "Brother, I'm having problems here. I need some help," what should you do? Help them. Now, if a brother is in some wicked sin, you should encourage them the best way you can. Say, hey, why don't you come back to church? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And try to encourage them the best way they can. If they don't receive your advice, what do you do? Do you shun them? No. Your responsibility is to pray for them. And don't stop praying for them. Encourage them in every way you know how. Why? Because you are trying to restore them back to the point where they were at. Listen to me, as Christians, we have a responsibility to be faithful to God, not to anyone else. And I guarantee you, when you're faithful to God, you're going to be faithful to everyone else. Here we go. Perfection, giving us all that we need. Thank you, Brother Glenn, for that answer. That was exactly what I was trying to get at. The Bible also talks about what it's important for. And the Bible is profitable for ministry. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. It's a good verse too. Something you should commit to memory if you can. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even into the dividing sunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So what is the word of God meant for? Ministering. Ministering. How do we take that from that verse in verse 12? It says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing Asunder of soul and spirit. What does asunder mean? Asunder means apart in pieces. How many times have you sat? And I'll tell you what, it's happened to me quite a few times in my Christian life. You've sat under the preaching and pastor uses a verse. And you know what? He's probably using that verse for something completely different than what he's talking about. I'm, I'm sorry. No, no. He is preaching on a subject and he uses a verse. And that verse is not what he's... He's just preaching and using it for something completely different. But the word of God works in many mysterious ways. And before long, that verse convicts your heart of something else besides what the pastor's talking about. Who's ever had that happen? I have. I've heard a scripture. I'm like, whoa, man, God, thank you. I'm sorry. I've done wrong here. The Bible says that it's a what? It's a sore. It's piercing. The sunder, divide the sunder between soul and spirit and the joints and marrow. So it goes even further than your bones, my friend. 
It goes deep inside of you and tells you exactly what you need. And what does it say? And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You think about it for a second. If a, if a warrior in the uh, when we talk about the Romans, they use swords and they use spears. And when they would stab somebody, where would he go? It would go inside the body, right? But do you think he could have affected the thoughts and the intents of the heart? What it, what people were thinking at that time? But the Word of God, listen to me, the Word of God knows exactly what you're thinking. It's alive. It can, it, can, it can get in there and tell you exactly what you need to know. And it'll work on you and work on you and work on you. And before long, you know what? You either have two choices. Either you're going to forget what's been told you and you're going to sear your conscience. Or number two, you're going to say, God, you're right. I need to change. Hopefully it's number two. Why? Because God wants us to change. He wants us to repent of our ways. He wants us to get back on the right track. The Bible says that it's good for ministering. Thoroughly furnished so we have something to work with. How many worked with something that they they don't have the right tools for? You know? You know how that is, men? You're out there working on the pipes, right? And you got a wrench? And you need to hammer something? You've never done that, have you? And you use a really nice tool to hammer with? And you break that real nice tool? Who's ever done that? I've done that. I had a nice had a nice ratchet and I really needed a breaker bar. <laughs> I cracked that ratchet, the mechanism inside the ratchet. Felt sick. It was a $50 ratchet. I was sick. I should have used the breaker bar. Listen to me. You don't have to worry about that with the Word of God. It's got every tool at your disposal. Perfect for ministry. God gave us the sword not to gather around, but to put in our heart and mind to fight the devil. What would be the use of a tool if you never used it? Some of you guys would be worthless, wouldn't it? You, know, you say, you know, I got this iPhone here. It's, I could consider this a tool, right? I use it at work. I use it uh, to take pictures. But I never use it. And all day long, it just sits there on that table. And I never use it. What good would that tool be to me? Nothing. The same way with God's Word. If you just put God's Word on a table, I'm guilty of it, and just leave it there for everyone to see on the end table, right? But you never use it. What good is it to you? God's Word is to be picked up. God's Word should be... <laughs> I think about my... <laughs> I'll use this illustration because it's perfect. I remember when I was a kid and my brother and sister, I had the worst insult ever given to me by the Christian bookstore lady at the church we attended. And I thought I was something special because my Bible lasted longer than my brother and sister's. And so I went up to the Christian bookstore and, and I says, and they were getting theirs replaced. They were buying other books. And I said, well, look at mine. Mine looks really nice. It looks almost new. She's like, well, it's probably because they use theirs more. And I thought, oh, man, I felt really bad after that, you know. She's probably right. You know, they were in that Bible. It should look like your Bible's been used, right? You know, your kids, you ask them, have you cracked the thing lately? You know, it shouldn't be that the only time that you open your Bible up that it's when you're sitting in church. 
right? It should be that you open your Bible up every morning and look through it and read it and discover it. Should be. I remember one of the first times I remember looking at my father's Bible. He had he uh, he went to a Southern Baptist church for about ten years after he'd gotten saved. But as he was going there, he had this Bible. It was like a dollar store Bible. But that thing, I wish he, I don't even know if he still has it. I should ask him. But that thing was so written in, I mean, he, from cover to cover. He taped it and he highlighted it and there was notes on the side, notes on this side. You looked at that Bible and you thought, what in the world did he do to it? It's because he used it. Listen to me. Our Bible shouldn't be look like they never cracked the binder. Our Bible should be like we use it every day. It should be something that we're uh, so much a part of our lives. But so many people take it and they think it's just something that we just sit on the, co- the corner. Listen to me, it needs to be put into our heart. Listen to me, if you have an active Bible scripture memorization, I was blessed with a great Christian education. I was blessed with going to a Bible college and being able to memorize lots of scriptures. But not everyone has that. And I guarantee you that it will help you in your understanding of scriptures if you memorize it. Why is that? Because the devil is on you every minute of the day. And there's going to be times when you don't... Right, Brother Oscar? Amen? There's going to be times when you don't have time to say, oh, well, is this right or is this wrong? No, you should say, okay, God, what do you want me to know? And you know what will happen? If you have it memorized in the back of that head, it will just come to the front of, your, front of your mind. It'll drop right into place. And you know exactly how to answer the devil. Exactly what Jesus did. He had Scripture right. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Right? He had every Scripture ready. So we find here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 3.16 is proper for perfection and ministry. A, in 3.17, or 3.16, we find that it was also proper for what? Doctrine. Doctrine. Secondly, reproof. I'll go through these all and define them. Thirdly, correction. Fourthly, instruction. What is doctrine? Doctrine is teaching. Okay? In essence, all doctrine is is teaching. Alright? Knowing exactly what the Bible has to say. So the Bible, it says, the, uh, it says, <clears throat> all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. So we know that we can find what we need to believe about God, His Word, His church, His the marriage between a husband and a wife, not a husband and a husband. Uh, we know that the, what else it has to say about every other thing in this world, abortion. Uh, we can talk about finances. Everything this Bible has in it, it's here for doctrine. Things that we can understand. It teaches us. Secondly, it also is what? Needed for what? Reproof. Reproof. We talked about reproof, right? A couple weeks ago. What is reproof? What is reproof? Anybody know? Talked about it a couple weeks ago. Yes? It's like correction. You're correct. <laughs> correction. That idea that you... What's that? Letting them know what is wrong. Well, let's take the idea. What is proof? What is proof? Evidence. What is reproof? If I said, you need to redo that, what am I saying? Do it again. What is reproof? Prove it again. How many of you done this? I know some of you have done this. You told your kids, don't 
touch that. Right? And you come in, and you notice that it's been touched. Not only has it been touched, but it's been broken. And so you have to what? Reprove your child. You shouldn't touch it. Why? Because you broke it. Alright? Who's ever done that? I've done that. I've done probably done that in the last week or so. I don't know if I've done it. You have to reprove it. What? Prove what you said is the right thing to do. Reprove. Prove it again. Or proof. I said prove. Alright? I guess reproof and reprove are the same thing. Correction. So what else is it used for? It's correction. Restoring to an upright position. When you correct something, uh, whether it be an error in your work, or it could be something that you need to change in your life, what is it meant for? It's so that you're no longer in the wrong path. You know, if you correct your children, they're going this way. You're saying, no, you have to go what? This way. You ladies, uh, maybe you've uh, done this in the past where you've cooked something and uh, you cooked it at the wrong temperature. And so when you pull that thing out of the oven, what does it look like? It looks like a burnt sacrifice. Okay? Or, on the other hand, it could look like it doesn't taste very good. Why? Because it hasn't been cooked all the way through. I've done that a few times. I've had to be corrected on the temperature that I, that I cooked my uh, breakfast sandwich in. I put it in the microwave, and I put it for too short. I took a bite of it. It's really nice and warm on the outside, but on the inside, it's ice. And it's nasty. How have you ever had Frozen eggs. So you got to throw that thing back in the microwave. Why? Because I had to correct, right? I had to go on the right path. That's what the Bible is used for, correction. And lastly, it's used for instruction. It's also, instruction can be used chastisement, okay? When you discipline your children or when you talk to your children trying to correct them, what should you do? I really believe if you want it to work, you need to give them reasons why they did wrong. Um, many times I'll talk to my daughters and say, uh, the Bible says that you should obey your mommy and daddy, doesn't it? And I'll have them repeat after me, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God has given thee. I instill that in their heart. Why? Because the Bible has said that it's used for what? Instruction. The Bible says that if you're, that the, the sin of rebellion is as what? Witchcraft. I've told my daughters that pretty t- many times. They, you ask them what witchcraft is, hopefully they can answer you and tell you exactly what witchcraft is. Okay? The idea there is that we have a, an understanding that the Bible can instruct and correct. Do we get it? What witchcraft is? What's it, witchcraft, Oscar? No, in Spanish. Okay, here we go, we got it. Alright? The idea that there is some type of rebellion, rebellion, the Bible says, is the sin of witchcraft. I tell my kids, listen, you're being rebellious towards your mother, it's just like you worshiping the devil. Okay? I put that and instilled it in their hearts. Why? Because the Bible is used for what? Instruction, for correction, for what? Reproof, and for what? Doctrine. Oh, I don't have any time. Holy cow. Gee whiz. We're out of time. It's been good. All right. Well, let me close down with a word of prayer. I apologize for going way past our time. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. and I thank you for all that you've given me. 
Lord, I thank you for the understanding of what your word of God teaches us. Lord, I pray that we would take this understanding and Lord, we would apply it to our lives this week. In Jesus' name, amen.